Glad you're with us, whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Online, or Parkway Victoria. We are so glad you're here. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege today to continue the series that we've been walking through in recent weeks. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians together, where we're going to learn and grow how to, like, the simple idea behind this series is, if I can change the way I think, then I can change the way I live. And the Apostle Paul set a foundation for us, a theological foundation at the beginning of the book so that we know who we are and whose we are. And then now he's stepping in and teaching us some very practical ways to live in relationships based on who we are and whose we are. Today I'm going to talk about marriage. And it's one of those talks where whatever age or life stage you're in, there's something you can take away from this message whether it's a goal of the marriage you would hope to dream and live in, or whether it's a next step you can take to live in a better, healthy marriage today, or it's a step to survive in a struggling marriage, there is something for all of us to take away today. And I am so glad you're here to be a part of it. And I'm glad to be here this week too. Russell did a great job last week teaching and leading, and we've got a phenomenal team. Christy and I were able to get away. We went to the mountains in New Mexico. So on Thursday, we woke up and it was 50 degrees outside, negative 20 humidity. It was phenomenal. And then when we pulled into Victoria, it was 101 degrees. It was like the difference between heaven and hell right here on earth. So we're glad to be home, glad to be refreshed. Thanks for being a family that encourages us to be with our families and to enjoy summer along with you guys. Before we jump into today's word, I want to pray for us, and then we will dig in together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks that we get to learn and grow together today. As we open our Bibles, help us to apply it to our lives as we understand it. Lord, help us to take courageous action, to actually live what we're learning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we jump into today's talk, the first thing I'm going to invite you to rethink is to rethink how marriage works. I want you to rethink your picture of marriage and how marriage works. Christy and I were married 23 years ago on May 25th. And when we got married, we each had a picture of what our marriage relationship would look like. It's a picture that we had both developed based on the houses that we were raised in. In my house, my dad was the strong, dominant one. In Christy's house, her mom was the strong, dominant one. Can you imagine what the first years of our marriage were like? Both of us trying to be strong? Well, I want you to rethink the way marriage works. Listen to how Paul writes it in Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's this picture of marriage where you've either got to have a strong man or a strong woman, or there's this picture where both husband and wife are striving to be weak so that the relationship can be strong. See, here's a great definition of marriage. A lifelong pursuit of submitting my wants, needs, and desires to someone else. Isn't that romantic? Marriage is me submitting my life to her and her submitting her life to me. We're rethinking how marriage works. So Christy and I have learned over the years 
in the early years of our marriage, let's say the first 20. Like we learned since then that our job isn't just to fight to be strong, but our job is to fight to make the other stronger. Our job is to work so that the other is the strongest they could be. It's not about our position. It's about us submitting our lives to each other. Friends, that's a game changer. You want to do what's best for each other? You want to do what's best for your marriage? You want to do what's best in your relationships? Learn how to live in mutually submissive relationships. We submit our lives one to another. For that to work, we're going to have to rethink submission. Love it when I sit down with young couples and I'm planning their wedding ceremony. And we are working through the vows. And, and I, I look and I say, do you mind if I say the S word? And they look at me shocked like I'm going to cuss or something in this moment. Like he's in a tux and she's in a dress and the pastor's going to say the S word. Do you mind if I say the S word? And they say, sure. I said, so you're not going to be offended if I say submit the S word? You're not going to mind if I say what the Bible says on submission? See, when we rethink submission, we know that submission is no longer a bad word. Submission is no longer a negative. But submission is actually how we live life in healthy relationships. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. See, Paul says you need to rethink submission. And instead of fighting to be strong, wives, you've got the job, the task, the special relationship with your husband to submit to him and to his leadership. Now, I want to make a couple of things very clear here. First of all, it doesn't say that every woman submits to every man. It doesn't say that every woman subjugates her wants, needs, and desires to that of every man in the world. It doesn't say that women are second class to any man. But what it says here is that in marriage, you have a special relationship with this man. And you submit your life to this man. Because that is how this mutual submission relationship starts. It also doesn't say that you have to receive or accept negative or toxic things from your husband. It doesn't say that you must submit to him in a way that hurts you and doesn't help you. It doesn't say that it gives men permission to do anything they want, anytime they want. But we start out with this perspective. Submission is making myself weak so they can be strong. About 19 years ago, Christy and I just had moved to Washington, and my boss told me, if you're going to work here, you need to work out at least three times a week. I am so glad that I don't work for him anymore. <laughs> and so at the time, there was this big competition thing going around called Body for Life, where you would work out for six days and eat right for six days, and you would do this for, for 12 weeks. And, and so Christy and I decided to step into it. 
And so we took before pictures, and those are the most humiliating pictures you've ever taken in your life. I want to show you one. No, I'm not. That's just wrong. It's just wrong. Just wrong. So we worked out, and we ate right. We would go to the gym together. Like, we would do free weights, because this is one of the things Body for Life said is do free weights, not just the machines, because you get a better resistance and you get better muscle build. So that was the goal. And I, you know, let me just say, I never laid down on that bench next to Christy and said, watch this, I'm about to outlift you. Watch this, I'm about to prove that I'm stronger than you. Watch this. See, my job wasn't to prove that I was stronger than her, because she probably could have outlifted me then. She definitely can now. But my job instead was to spot her, to make sure that she was safe as she was growing. And her job, she spotted me to make sure that I was safe as I was doing my work. Friends, this is a picture of submission, where we are doing what we can to help our partner grow and be strong. And wives, there's a very specific challenge to you here. For your husband to be all that God has designed him to be and all that he can be in Christ, part of your role in his life is to submit to his leadership. When he's following Jesus, it's easy for you to follow him. So after we got done with Body for Life, we took the after pictures. And those were a little less humiliating. We sent them off along with a, you know, the write-up on how we did it and why we did it. We had applied in a, this competition as a couple. About six weeks later, this box came in the mail. And it had Body for Life on it. Like, oh my gosh, we won! So I opened it up and there was this duffel bag. It said Body for Life on it. There was some free protein powder in there. And then there was this certificate to Christy. We had applied as a couple, and she won as an individual. <laughs> See, that's submission. That's me being a good husband. We're going to rethink submission. And then second, we're going to rethink love. Husbands, you need to rethink what it means to truly love your spouse. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul says here that if you are married, your job as a husband is to love your wife, not so that she is just happy, but so that she is holy. It gets down to the very purpose of marriage. Does marriage exist so that we will be happy? Or does marriage exist so that we will grow in holiness? This is so important on so many levels. First, if you are single and looking for a spouse you need to choose someone that will not only make you happy, but will lead you to be holy. You, that's why dating and marrying within the same faith, with the same values and the same commitment to Christ matters. That's why equally yoked relationships matter. 
Because marriage isn't just about happiness. Marriage, as Paul puts it here, is about holiness. There's also a reminder here that that when you hit a rough patch in marriage, and every relationship will hit a rough patch. Your relationship doesn't exist just to make you happy. If you believe your relationship exists just to make you happy, then when you're unhappy, you might make a change. But what God calls you to do instead is to to say, God, in the midst of my unhappiness, would you work in this relationship and make me more holy? In the midst of my frustration, in the midst of my anger, in the midst of what I'm feeling, would you make me more holy? Because I know that this relationship isn't just to make me happy. It's to make me holy. One other thing, and this isn't in my notes, so this is just free. If marriage is about happiness, pardon me, about holiness and not just happiness, Christian couple, if you are living together because it makes you happy, I encourage you to get married because that is God's holy standard for a commitment between a man and a woman. If living together makes you happy, why not take the step to get married? Because that's God's holy standard. I realize that might be uncomfortable for some, but let me tell you, I'll pay for your marriage license. I realize that might be difficult for some. I'll even buy you a wedding cake. It's really small, (laughs) but I'll buy it for you. Because this is God's standard. Happy or holy? What's the purpose of marriage? And then Paul continues, and it's funny, the ladies get one paragraph, the guys get two. I think it's just how we learn. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. See, Paul goes on to tell men that you are going to love your wife because when you love your wife, it's like you are loving yourself. Because there's this great mystery that happens in marriage where two people become one, where two families become one future. And Paul says this is such a reality. Jesus said what God put together, let no man separate. And Paul says this is such a reality that when you love your wife, you love yourself. And if you hate your wife, it's like you're hating yourself. And who would do that? He says that never forget that you're on the same team. So you feed and you care for each other. You're on the same team. So if it's not good for her, it's not good for us. You're on the same team. If it's not good for him, then it's not good for us. If you would never damage your own life, Why would you hurt the wife that God gave you? Paul challenges us. If you would never endanger and risk your life, why would you mistreat and endanger and risk your relationship with your wife? Paul challenges us. Men, our job is to love our wives by laying our lives down for them. Giving them what they need. Giving them our lives. Because when we love our, li- our wife well, we experience a life that's full of happiness 
and holiness, guys. So it's time to rethink submission. It's time to rethink love. And that leads us to this one summation. And this one verse helps us rethink our relationship. And you can fill in that blank. Paul writes it. And this makes it simple for all of us. Ephesians 5, verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. He boils one paragraph to women. Okay, here's how you're going to live submissive. You're going to respect him. He boils two paragraphs down to men. And men, he didn't translate it at all. He said, you're to love, love, love. That's the simple job in marriage. If we rethink our relationship, husbands, your primary job is to love your wife. And wives, your primary job in this relationship is to respect your husband. When you get it right, it's magic. When you get it wrong, it's the crazy cycle. Emerson Igrich, marriage expert, pastor, he came up with this crazy cycle. And I want you to see it because it's exactly what Paul was saying here. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. You see how that cycle feeds itself? He feels disrespected, so he acts cold and distant. And without love, she's going to continue to disrespect. And without that respect, he's going to continue to, to be snarky and to be like a, a jerk. And without that love, she's going to continue to act without that respect. But at some point, the most mature person in the relationship has to stop the crazy cycle and say, I'm going to love her. I'm going to respect him. Because my job is to lay my life down for my wife as Christ laid his life down for the church. I am going to love her. Because my job is to submit my life to my husband. I am going to respect him and treat him respectfully. This love and respect model, it opens the doors for all sorts of new things in our relationship. And I want to encourage you in our final moments together. I want to encourage you with a new way of communicating with each other. And this is something that I'm actively learning in recent years. Something that I'm actively learning that's impacting every relationship in my life but none more than it's impacted my marriage. This new way of communicating, and James puts it this way in James 1, 19 through 20. My dear brothers and sisters, men and women, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Over the years, I've heard this verse countless times. Everybody take note of this. I want you to be quick to listen. I want you to be slow to speak. And I want you to be slow to become angry. Because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness. It doesn't produce the relationships that we desire to live in. I've heard that over and over and over again. But the question is always, how? Well, with this mindset of love and respect, here's how. We are going to be people. We're going to strive to be people who speak, and you can fill in this blank, speak to express feelings. 
Paul tells us that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. But when we speak, we're going to speak to express feelings. And what I mean by that is we're going to express feelings, not place blame. We're going to seek to express what's happening inside of us, not what somebody else has done to us. You may tell your kids like we tell ours, nobody can make you mad. Don't you love it whenever you are mad at your spouse and your kid goes, hey, nobody can make you mad. No, nobody likes that, but it's true. Because what is happening when we get angry, which doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires, what's happening when we get angry is happening inside of us, not because of something that happened to us on the outside. So I've got to get this. I've got to go, you know what? This is about my feeling. So I'm going to express my feeling instead of placing blame. This changes the whole communication game. Because instead of going to my spouse or to my kids or to my teammates and coworkers and friends and saying, you know what? You made me mad when you decided to stay on your phone for three hours last night. You made me mad when you chose to do this instead of spending time with me. Instead of going and saying, you made me mad, you might say something like, I felt like second choice yesterday. What do you mean? Well, you were on the computer for 14 hours. I was only awake for 10. I felt like your second choice. Or... You made me mad at that party when you, like, made the joke. (laughs) See, that's one I get sometimes. I used to get. But instead of saying, you made me mad when you made that joke, you come and you say, you know what? I felt real small when everybody laughed at me because you're funny. (laughs) See, what happens when somebody says, hey, you made me mad when you made that joke. You made me mad when you chose this. You made me mad. You know what happens? Those defenses go up. You know why I stayed on the computer? Because all you were doing is just hanging out and sitting around too. You looked like you were sad and mad and angry. Why would I want to hang out with you? Well, I was sad and mad and angry because you were on the computer. See, the crazy cycle begins. When they come and say, I made, you make me so mad with that joke. <laughs> I make, let me tell you, I wasn't making you mad. I was making you the center of attention. Yeah, but in a way that I got ridiculed and you got credit. See, the defenses go up. But when instead you express feelings, what happens is the defenses go down. You're not married to a toxic jerk. You're not married to a wild woman. You're married to someone who wants to love and respect and be in that type of relationship where we're submitting our lives to each other. So you practice that pause. And instead of looking to blame, you look to express your feelings. Second, if we're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, we listen to validate feelings, not to respond to the argument. We listen to validate feelings, not simply to respond. And this is something I learned from Michael Smalley, that we like to think relationships are about facts and fairness, especially men. We think that relationships are all about the facts. 
If we've got a problem relationally, if I could just get her to understand the facts, then our relationship will be better. Let me just ask you this question. Has anyone ever made a happier marriage by settling an argument logically? Nobody ever. Logic never makes us happy. Now, if you are in a fight later this week with your spouse and you say, I'm going to quote Pastor Mike right now, logic never makes us happy. That's an inappropriate use of my words. (laughs) Relationships are not about facts and fairness. They're about feelings. You know why that's true? Because we can experience the exact same thing, the exact same set of facts, have the exact same treatment of people, but experience it in different ways. Like if I ask you this question, is that, what's that number I'm holding out? That's a nine. You would say that's a nine. I would look and say, that's a six. You know, we are both right. When you say that's a nine and I say that's a six, we are both right. Because relationships, and this is the picture I want you to take, when you realize that relationships aren't about facts and fairness being right and wrong, but it's about a feeling, it's about a perspective, it's about a take on the exact same thing. When you realize it's not about facts or fairness, it's about feelings. Then when your spouse says, hey, I'm feeling like second choice, say, oh, I am so sorry. You know, I would never choose anything or anyone above you. I could see how you'd feel that way. I was on a winning streak on the video game. Shouldn't have stayed on it for 14 hours yesterday. I could see how you'd feel that way. You listen to validate feelings because you are listening, not just for the facts and not just whether or not you've earned the right to do something, but you are listening to engage with the feelings of your spouse. And then the last one, you work together to process what's happening. If we're going to be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. A part of that is processing what people are feeling. Like, let's get real practical here. For that spouse that comes and says, hey, I feel like I'm second choice. You've been working too much. You've been chasing your hobby too much. I feel like I'm second choice. When that is expressed, the other partner looks and says, how can I help? And in that moment, the party that's been hurt, the party that's frustrated, the party that's feeling something that they can't process between them and God alone, they are in charge. And they get to say, you know, I'd really like it if we spent some time together. Maybe a date night once every two weeks would be good. Or I'd like it if once we put the kids to bed, instead of just running to technology, if we talked or at least sat in the same room. I would like this. So you're processing these feelings, and then you look and you say, I submit my needs, my wants, and my, I'd be happy to spend time with you. I'd be happy to take you on a date. I'd be happy to do this. Because when I love my wife right, it's like I'm loving myself. And when I respect my husband, that leads him to be a man that I can follow and be loved by. See, I'm going to process the feelings. I'm going to process it and say, how can I help? A lot of times, many times, how can I help? Well, there's not really anything you could do. I was just feeling on the inside, and I needed to vent. 
That is an amazing conversation to have. Because then all of a sudden you realize, I can't fix my husband when he's frustrated. And I can't fix my wife if she's frustrated. But she or he has a person that they could come and talk to and say, hey, I'm frustrated or I'm angry. I'm this. You just need to know it. So my question for you, as you look at your marriage, either the one you have or the one you're praying for, are you willing to submit your life mutually to each other? Your job in this relationship is to make each other stronger. And God says in some seasons, that'll be a season of happiness. In others, that'll be a season that grows your holiness. And for most of us, it's happiness and holiness at the same time. But will you gladly submit your life to someone who will make you stronger in Christ? And will you gladly submit your life in such a way that you learn how to communicate differently? The arguments don't need to continue. It's not about facts and fairness. It's about feelings. The fights don't need to carry on. You don't have to wonder, when's the next one coming? Walking on eggshells because you're learning how to express and validate and process what you're feeling. There is nothing worse in a marriage than trying to figure out when the next big fight's coming. You can live differently with love and respect. But the question comes, will you submit your lives one to another? And for that to work, each of you must submit your life to the leadership of Christ. Each one of you must submit your life to the word and to the will of God. Will you be weak so that your relationship can be strong. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the word, to be challenged, to learn, to grow. God, I pray that you would help us all submit our lives to you. As believers in Jesus, help us to follow Christ so that we can follow him and live in healthy, happy, holy relationships. Lord, I pray for wives as they follow Jesus that they would learn to submit and respect their husbands. Lord, I pray that they would learn to submit to and respect as their husband follows you. God, I pray for husbands that we would learn how to love our spouses so that they will willingly do life, willingly follow, willingly enter into this adventure with us. God, I pray for those that are looking for a spouse. God, I pray that you would give them a picture of marriage that they can chase. Lord, I pray you'd provide open doors and opportunities for them to date people that are the same faith and same values and same commitment. God, for those that are looking and are frustrated. God, I pray that as they walk with you in this time, God, that they would serve you with a great passion and trust you in your timing. God, and I pray for those that are in crisis. Lord, I pray that, that you would work in them through small groups, through friends, through your word, 
through prayer. I pray that you would work in them to help them grow in holiness through this. God, we all can relate to wanting something we don't have or to having something we wish we didn't. And so God, whichever end of the spectrum we're on, we pray that we would submit our lives to you, to your will, and to your word. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus, the Bible says that Christ laid his life down. We just read it. He laid his life down for the church, which means he died in our place. He died on the cross. They laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he was raised again to prove that he's God, and to prove that he can offer us life. He died to forgive us. He rose again to offer us victory and life forever with him. The Bible says that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And the only response he calls you to is to believe in him and to find life. If today's your day, as the church prays, you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.